So that was a clip from the movie Harriet's. And so throughout the 17th, 18th, and part of the 19th century, people were kidnapped. They were taken hostage from Africa. They were forced into bondage, enslaved, beaten, exploited to work on plantations here in America. We are all familiar with the horrors of American slavery. Men and women taken into captivity, dehumanized, forced to serve a cruel master. Many tried to escape this bondage. It was a horrible, horrible time in our nation's history. And in the midst of the terror and horrors, there were people who were called conductors who would come to the plantations at night or they would come in secret and they would free the enslaved men and women and take them to freedom. And one of these people was famously known as Harriet Tubman. Many of you have probably heard of Harriet Tubman. She was an escaped enslaved woman who became a conductor on the Underground Railroad. And over the span of 10 years, she took 19 trips into the South, leading over 300 slaves to freedom. She's an American hero. She risked her life, her safety, her well-being to secure the freedom of others. She saw the horrors of slavery and not only escaped herself, but did something about it for others. She led others out of slavery and into freedom. So we are in a series here at Rooftop called Sin, What Is It Really?, Sin can sometimes seem to be this abstract concept or word that Christians like to throw around when people do something we don't like, right? But what is sin really? What does it do? How does it play itself out in our lives? More importantly, what does Jesus say about sin? And what does Jesus do about it? So in the Bible, the biblical authors use a number of metaphors and and symbols and illustrations to talk about sin and describe the severity of it. One aspect we are going to tackle today is sin as bondage. So the biblical authors liken your life before Christ or a life before Jesus to a slave who is bound up by sin, controlled by sin, enslaved by sin, completely at the mercy of sin. And so the people of God were no strangers to this idea of enslavement. After all, they had been enslaved many times. They'd been attacked. They'd been conquered. They'd been exiled. They'd been taken from their land and forced to work in foreign lands under oppressors and cruel controllers. So the first instance of this found in the Bible is the first chapter of the second book of the Hebrew Bible, Exodus. So here's what it says in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read a couple verses. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies, fight against us, and escape. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed and the more they multiplied, the more they spread. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Look at verse 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So Pharaoh was worried about the people becoming too strong. So he enslaves them, he oppresses them, and makes them work ruthlessly as slaves. They were in chains. They were in bondage, completely controlled by the nation of Egypt. So fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus picks up this theme and this imagery when he's talking and teaching a group of people. And he says this in John's Gospel 
in chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. He says this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So Jesus says here, if you practice sin, you are enslaved by it. You are in bondage to it. You are are bound and controlled by sin and the power of darkness. I'm not saying if you sin, right? Because we all do. We all make mistakes. But if we practice sin, if it's a habit, if it's something that we're doing continually in our daily lives unrepentantly, then you are bound and you are controlled. You are a slave to sin. And he says that the slave doesn't remain in the house. Why? Because they can be dismissed or they can be sold. But he says the son remains forever. So when we are in sin because of our sinful nature, we are in bondage to it. And Jesus claims that we're not sons, but we're slaves. That's a huge statement here and I want to unpack it. So what is the difference in this time period between a slave and a son? There are a few big ones, right? First, slaves were not part of the family. They were given food, clothing, shelter, and cared for at the most basic level as they did their work for the families and as they paid off their debts. But they were not members of the family. Second, slaves did not live in the house forever. They, why? Because they could be sold. They could be dismissed. They could pay off their debt. And in most cases, they left the family. They did not remain with the family forever. So Jesus is saying to the people listening to him here that because of your enslavement to sin, you are not going to dwell in the house forever. Why? Because sin separates us from God. And when we are bound in sin, chained to sin, enslaved to sin, we're not slaves to righteousness like Paul later says we should be. Because you can't serve two masters. You can't serve sin and Jesus. You can't be a slave and a son. So I want to go deeper here and explain this idea of of bondage and enslavement. And I'm going to read an excerpt from a, a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. So this is what he says. The ungodly man, first of all, finds sin to be a bait. And charmed in by its apparent pleasantness, he indulges in it. And then he becomes entangled in its meshes so that he can't escape. That which first attracted the sinner afterward detains him. He's saying, you're lured in, you're enticed by what seems to be a pleasant thing only to become detained by it. He says, evil habits are soon formed. The soul readily becomes accustomed to evil. And then, even if the man should have lingering thoughts of better things and form frail resolutions to amend. So he's saying, maybe I'll get better. I'll stop doing this, essentially. His iniquities hold him captive like a bird in the fowler's snare. So even if he's saying, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this thing. He's already too stuck. You have seen the foolish fly descend into the sweet which is spread to destroy him. He sips and sips again and by and by he plunges boldly in to feast himself greedily. When satisfied, he attempts to fly, but the sweet holds him by the feet, clogs his wings, he is a victim. And the more he struggles, the more surely is he held. Have you ever experienced that before? Even so is, is it with sins of, the sins of ungodly men. They are at first a tempting bait. They look good at first, right? But afterwards a snare. Having sinned, they become bewitched by sin. What's he talking about? He's talking about a person who becomes baited in and charmed and lured in like an animal by sin, only to become ensnared and stuck in the trap. 
And, and once you are lured in, you are unable to escape. The animal says it struggles and struggles and it tries to break free and it tries to fly away. But the more it struggles, the more stuck it gets. It is a victim of the deadly clutches of sin. Luring you in with apparent pleasantness solely for the purpose of enslaving you, trapping you, and killing you. Now let's be honest, most of us don't look at sin like this. You wouldn't say you're a slave to sin, right? I'm not a slave, but you can't go to bed without watching those videos at night. But you're not a slave. You're not a slave to sin. You just can't seem to control your temper and you're driving your family further and further away from you. But, but, but no, 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 you're not a sin. You got, you've got your temper in control, right? You're not a slave to sin. You just can't stop eating to indulge yourself and numb the pain of what you're experiencing in life. But no, 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 absolutely not. You're not a sin, right? Not me. You're not a sin, or not a slave to sin, right? You just can't seem to kick that addiction. You just can't seem to stop lying, but you aren't a slave. You just can't stop gambling, right? But you're not a slave to it. You can stop at any moment. You're totally in control, right? Well, Jesus says, everyone who practices sin, who is habitually sinning, is a slave to sin. You have been lured in by a lie. You have been lured in by Satan, by the enemy to believe that what you're doing is okay. That what you're doing is just looking at videos, just looking at images. It's not okay. You, you, or it's okay. You aren't abusive. You just got a little bit of a temper, right? You're not a glutton. You just like to treat yourself, right? You aren't the problem. You're not the problem. Everyone else around you is the problem. You're not selfish. You worked hard for your money. You should keep it. That person didn't work hard for it. Don't give it to them. But you're not, a, you're not a slave, right? Well, James tells us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. Brings forth death. Satan isn't going to come up to you and say, hey, I want to enslave you. Will you put these on for me? Hey, I want to give you a, 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 a porn addiction. Will you please put these on for me? I want to give you a crippling debt. Will you, will you put these on for me? Hey, I, I want to, will you just lose your, your temper and get angry and abuse your family and push them further and further away? Would you, would you just put these on for me? No, he's not going to do that but he's going to give you a little taste. Here. Try it. It's not bad. Try it. And you say, well, nobody saw. I didn't get caught. Huh. It's not, it's not too bad. Oh, he's like, oh, you like that? There's more where that came from. And slowly and slowly over time, you begin to form evil habits and you are ensnared by the enemy. You are a victim to the clutches of sin ruled by the slave driver. That sin is putting upon yourself a heavy burden. And you wonder why you can't find your purpose. Oh, come on, somebody. And you wonder why life has not turned out the way that you thought it was going to turn out. You wonder why your relationships are not working out. You wonder why everything you put your hand to does not prosper, right? 
Well, maybe it's because you are in chains. Maybe it's because you are enslaved to sin. You are shackled by it. You are bound by it. When I was a little kid, I remember watching uh, the History Channel, watching um, uh, a thing on Harry Houdini, the great Houdini, right? You guys have heard of him, and he does these escapes. And one of them was he was tied up in chains, and, and he was without a key, supposedly, and he was lured down, laid, laid down into some water, a river, a lake, some kind, of, some kind of body of water. Lured down into it, and then he would somehow untie himself, and he'd pop out. And it was like, oh! And then I was like six or seven, and I was like, I could probably do that. <laughs> so, I convinced two of my older sisters, which it didn't take a lot of convincing, really, to tie me up. Thankfully, we didn't have any chains or a swimming pool, or I would not be with you today. Um, but we had some rope and I think some bungee cords, which is really, really scary to think about this, that this actually happened. Uh, rope and bungee cords and a closet. So they tied me up and they turned off the light and they put me in a closet and we'll see if I can escape, right? Ta-da! So immediately, I mean immediately, I knew this is a horrible idea. One, because I've shared before, I'm really scared of the dark, right? Still am, and as a kid, it was horrible. So uh, scared of the dark, and I couldn't untie myself. And this may surprise you. I was a bit of a crybaby as a kid. I know you wouldn't think that now, you know, if you know me, obviously not. But as a kid, I was a bit of a crybaby. So I did what I knew to do, which was scream and cry. So I screamed and I was crying. I was at my dad's house. So I was screaming and crying for my dad. And after a while, I guess my dad hears screaming and crying from some like random closet in the house, which is probably pretty scary. Um, And he opens the door. He finds the closet, opens the door, and he finds me uh, tied up, bound up in a dark closet crying. So my dad reaches in and he pulls me out and he unties me. And I remember asking, why did you do this? And I remember saying, because it looked like fun. And I think a lot of us, we thought that sin looked fun. And then it tied you up and it hit the light and it threw you in the closet and it shut the door behind it. And then you found yourself bound up, unable to escape. And try and try as you might, you couldn't break free on your own. But you need your father to set you free. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 8, continuing where we left off. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Look at verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? You and I were prisoners held under the bondage of sin. We were held captive by sin, by our impulses of sin, by our instinct to sin. Sin was our ruler and our captor, and it laid a heavy burden on us, laying chains on us, and it had control over our lives. But like the clip that we watched just a moment ago, we need someone who's going to be willing to come in and sacrifice themselves, put their lives on the line, put their safety on the line in order to free us from our chains. We need someone who is stronger than us to come along and break the chains that are holding us captive. We need someone to come and loose the grip that Satan has on our lives. 
And if that's you this morning and you feel captive to sin, you feel like it's holding you down, like it's controlling, controlling you, like you can't break free, I'm here to tell you this morning that King Jesus can set you free. And he says right here, if the Son sets you free, come on somebody, you are free indeed. And so how did he do this? Jesus sacrifices himself to secure us from slavery. Jesus sacrifices himself to secure us from slavery. How does he do this? Number one, Jesus breaks the chains of sin, right? We sing about that. Come on, somebody. He's a chain breaker. Why don't you look at somebody and say, he's a chain breaker. So how exactly does Jesus do this? There's a big word I'm going to teach you guys today. It's called Adamic recapitulation. Look at your neighbor. I'm just kidding. You don't have to say that. Adamic recapitulation, a big theology seminary word for you guys this morning. So what does it mean? Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam, the very first human being. Adam was created to be God's covenantal representative for humanity, for all of humanity, with dominion over all of creation. His role was to be, again, a covenantal head of humanity who served God fully and served as his representative. We all know the story. Adam fails miserably to do this. So when Adam fails to do this, when he's enticed by his desires, when he's lured in by Satan, Adam introduced rebellion into the world and thus enslaved humanity to sin. Again, he was acting on our behalf as our representative and disrupting God's desire to live in harmony and relationship with us. From here, every person is affected by what perhaps you've heard uh, original sin. We're all touched by it. We're all stained by it. We're all marked by it. We're all enslaved to a sinful nature separated from our creator. But this is not the way that it's supposed to be. The plan is to have creator and creation joined together back in harmony, free from rebellion. And God is moved with compassion when he sees enslaved humanity. And he is so moved, he sends his son Jesus to be God's new covenantal representative for humanity. He fulfills all righteousness on behalf of humanity. He embodies and lives out God's intentions perfectly for us. And in his life, death, and resurrection, he atones for the sins of all of those who are in him. As a result, he recapitulates, right? He undoes the wrong of the first Adam. He succeeds where the first Adam failed and he restores the kingdom of God and he mediates on our behalf. All right, some of you guys, your eyes are still a little glossed over. All right, here we go. What does all of that mean? That Jesus breaks the power of sin in your life. In his life, death, and resurrection, he breaks the chains that entrap you by breaking the curse of sin. Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to know this morning that God loves you so much. That God loves you so much he was willing to give himself on your behalf so you could break free of the chains that are holding you down. Number two. Jesus changes our status as slaves and he makes us sons. We are made heirs to the kingdom. We remain with the Father in the Father's house. We are adopted by God and we are made sons. Well, how does this happen? By adoption. 
Many of you are familiar with the the concept of adoption. Many of you have adopted uh, children or maybe you've been adopted. Rooftop has an awesome ministry, uh, adoption ministry and fostering ministry. Adoption refers to the act by which an adult formally, formally, not formally, formally becomes the guardian of a child and incurs the rights and responsibilities of a parent. So at the conclusion of this formal process, there is a legal relationship that is made between child and guardian. The legal relationship results in the adoptee or the child becoming the legal heir of the adopter, the legal heir. So in the Roman world, Adoption was significant and it was a common practice at this time. Today we can write a will, we can leave our wealth or property to anybody we want, male or female. That was not the case in the Roman world. With a few exceptions, a man had to pass his wealth to his sons. If a man had no sons or if he felt that his sons were unworthy or couldn't manage it, he could adopt a son. And these adoptions were not infant adoptions as is common today, Older boys and adult men were often adopted. In some cases, the adoptee might be even older than the one adopting him. And so when the adoption was legally approved, the adoptee would have all of their debts canceled and they would receive a new name. And so this person would be the legal son of his adoptive father entitled to all the rights and benefits of a son. This is beautifully pictured in, in the, the book Ben-Hur. Have you guys ever seen, read the book or watched the movie Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ? Starring Charleston Heston. So we see a vivid portrayal of Roman adoption. So Ben-Hur, right? Judah Ben-Hur. He is a slave. He's imprisoned on a Roman galley ship as a rower. And when the ship sinks in battle, Judah escapes, but he saves the life of a Roman commander, Arius. Arius' son has been killed. He doesn't have another son. So he adopts Judah. And then Judah is then pardoned for all of his crimes, and he is given a new name. He's called Young Arius, and he has all the rights of his father's inheritance. And in the scene where the adoption is announced, Arius takes off his ancestral signet ring, and he gives it to Young Arius. And Young Arius says this, he has received, he says, I've received a new life, a new home, and a new father. This is the story of the Bible. The Bible is the greatest uh, story of adoption and love. The Bible tells the story of a God who creates and desires to love and have relationship with creation. And we believe, and when we believe in Jesus and we repent, we are given a new life, a new eternal home, and a new eternal father. Romans 8, 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Of God. And I want you to know, ladies, you may be wondering, why doesn't it say daughters? Well, this is actually what Paul's saying is a very radical thing because he's saying whether you're male, whether you're female, no matter what, if you believe, if you're led by the Spirit, you're a son of God, which means you are able to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God desires to bring all things to himself, to unite and restore everything to himself. And sin stood in the way of that. And so God does something about it by sending his son, Jesus, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. 
And because of his riches and his grace, we're able to be forgiven when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. We're forgiven. And the chasm that has separated us from God is gone. And we are brought into relationship with him, back into harmony as things are supposed to be. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are saved. And we are given new identities as his children. And not only that, but we are made co-heirs with Christ. Our debt is paid and we have received a new name, a new identity, and a new father. Can I get an amen in this place? Come on, somebody. We are purchased by the blood of Christ, and we are no longer slaves, but we are sons. Amen. Amen. Number three, the Spirit sanctifies us. Now that word just means uh, to be made holy or makes us more like Jesus. It conforms us more to the image of Christ. Or in other words, it, it further separates us from our chains. It further separates us from our chains. Too many of us are trying to stop sinning on our own. You're reading self-help book after self-help book. You're reading uh, or you're listening to Joe Rogan. And Jordan Peterson, great podcasts, horrible saviors, all right? You're watching all the self-help videos on YouTube. You're relying on your own strength and your own will to try and stop doing the things that you don't want to do. And Paul speaks directly to that in Galatians. Look at what he says. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know what he's saying there? He's like, uh, you think that God has saved you, adopted you, justified you, made you righteous, made you a child of God, and now you're going to take it from here and finish what God has started? He says, no, that's not how it works. He says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began the good work in you, he is going to see it to completion. The work that God has started in you, he is going to see it to completion. You are a work in progress this morning. And Jesus, Jesus taught us that he would send his Holy Spirit. He would send his comforter. He's going to send his help, helper to aid us in obeying his commandments. But by depending on our own strength, we are only going to just keep piling chains upon ourselves. We can't overcome the flesh with the flesh. We can overcome the flesh with the spirit. Come on, somebody. This is what he says in Galatians. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you're not going to fulfill the lusts or the desires of the flesh. The only way to escape the snare of sin is to rely on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and to walk in the Spirit. Repent of your sins and make Jesus the Lord of your life. And in Him, you are going to be made new. You are going to be given a new life. And you get a new home and you get a new Father in heaven. You are restored back to your Creator. You're not going to be a slave who is cast out of the house, but you are a child who remains in the house forever. But you cannot escape the clutches of sin on your own. You need a savior. You need Jesus to hear you crying and to open that door and to pull you out and to untie you. Come on, somebody. Jesus sacrifices himself to secure us from slavery. I'm going to pray and then our team is going to lead us in, in a couple more songs. But if God's tugging at your heart right now, 
and, and you need prayer or you want to talk to somebody, um, I'll be up here. Pastor Matt will be up here. You can come find us. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. I think God's stirring something up in here right now. I think people are about to find the freedom that they've been looking for. You've been trying it on your own and it's not working. I'm here to tell you, you can't do it. But if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So if you want to walk in freedom from this moment on, hey, I want you just to come up here. I want to pray for you. And we're going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do what he says he's going to do. And we're going to believe that the Holy Spirit's going to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. We sing the songs that he's a chain breaker. Well, Jesus wants to show you today. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you so much for what you're going to do in this place right now. We know, God, that you are not done. We know this isn't just Christian karaoke, God. We are worshiping you. We are giving you praise, God, and you are going to be in this place right now. So, Lord, I pray that you do what only you can do, God. I pray that you free those of us who are enslaved in bondage, Lord. I pray that you would uh, heal sick bodies, God. I pray that you would open blind eyes so that people can see you for who you really are, Jesus. Lord, we believe that people are going to walk in freedom From this day on, they're going to look back at April 10th, 2022 as the day that the Holy Spirit set them free from their chains. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.